Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. Today, I'm joined by John Melora, and he's going to share how tragedy changed the direction of his life. So welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me, Lily. So this is our take two on recording this episode. So I think it'll be even better this time. (laughs) A little bit more polished, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, last time the audio got a little messed up on my part. So we're trying this again. But I would love for you to describe yourself before this tragedy that changed your life occurred. Like paint me a picture of what John looked like. John was a jerk, (laughs) for lack of a better term. And it's been about 13 years, a little over 13 years since, you know, I had a real pivotal moment in my life. I was a little bit over 30 years old at the time. And what happened was one of my best childhood friends, I got a call on like a sunny Friday afternoon and found out that he had intentionally overdosed and um, unfortunately took his own life. Uh, and when that happened, it was the best thing I can describe it as is like when you're watching a movie or something and an explosion goes off and it's like, like that, you know, everything kind of goes like white. Mm. That's pretty much how I was for probably hours. And I got that call at work. So it was all I could do to keep myself, you know, kind of focused on what I was doing at work. Cause at the time I was a lead test engineer for NASA and and military projects. That job really suited me at the time. I I found that job right out of college and that job came with a lot of accolades, a lot of pressure. There, there were some very hazardous things that we got involved with. And it, it was really perfect for me at the time because at the time I mentioned I was a jerk. And what I realized was that the way I showed up in the world was be basically driven by fear, fear that other people finding out that I wasn't perfect, that I wasn't good enough, and that I was pretty much unlovable. So the way I would protect myself would be, you know, instead of using my empathy for helping people like I do now as a portrait photographer, you know, all these, you know, almost (laughs) decade and a half later, I would use that empathy, those skills that I had to really cut to the core of people if I felt threatened at all. So I've been going through life like that. And looking back on, I'm I'm very surprised I have anyone left around from that period of my life that still wanted to be around me Mm because I could just be so harsh and short-tempered and sharp-tongued. But when my friend passed away, it pretty much put me in a downward spiral that, you know, I pretty much ended up at rock bottom, not knowing what to do. And it was just this watershed moment that I can point to and be like, that's the moment right there when things completely fell apart and then began to build back up. Can you describe that feeling you experienced like when you first found out and then what did rock bottom look like for you? What it felt like, I mean, it felt like the, you know, the when you're on a roller coaster or you're, you know, on a road with hills and you go over it and, and you get that, and yeah, my wife always calls it that tickle belly sensation. It was like that, but just 
perpetual. I just had this like feeling like the bottom of my stomach was just falling out. And I had worked through and you know been subjected to a lot of anxiety through my life since I was like probably five or six years old. So it really intensified that. And coupled with the fact that right before my friend passed away, we had just had our first kid. So for any parents that are out there listening to this, having an infant is a very humbling experience, especially when you have this very fragile ego, which I did. So, you know, we had our first kid, my friend passed away unexpectedly, and I just was in this continual fog where I just couldn't focus on anything. I was worried that my whole world was unraveling and I just felt just ill to my stomach for months. And I can remember months after he passed away, my wife and daughter had left for the day and I was getting ready for work. And I just remember I was staying in my bathroom like, I don't know how much longer I can go on feeling like this, just feeling numb slash perpetually terrified. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how much longer I can go on like this. What am I going to do? This isn't getting better. Yeah. All of my coping strategies and everything that I thought were good ways to handle things, they weren't helping. And I I can remember just saying the the serenity prayer at the time, which was a big deal because up until that point, I spent a majority of my life basically thumbing my nose at God and thought anyone that needed God was weak and just couldn't handle things on their own because I had this mindset that I had to be able to take care of myself no matter what and just be entirely self-sufficient. And I thought religion was stupid and God was stupid and people that follow him were, were stupid. And, but it brought me to this point where I was like, I don't, I, when I said, I, I don't know if I like how I can keep going on like this. I just said, you know, the, the serenity prayer, give me, you know, the, the serenity to, well, I, I can't even remember it now, but it, it popped in my head right when I needed it. And I just remember this warm sensation like flowing over me. Mm. And I was just standing in my bathroom. I wasn't in the shower. And I thought, I've either lost my mind, like I finally like thoroughly <laughs> lost my mind and cracked up. Maybe God's real. And that was a pivotal moment where after that happened, I started doing a lot of self-evaluation. Cause I I had, you know, been in and out of therapy for anxiety for years. And one of the things I knew from my job, I was a test engineer, right? For these missions that were landing on other planets. So data was a big thing in my life, you know, in my professional career. And I thought I should probably get some quote data on how I'm reacting to people after I kind of had this watershed moment. Yeah. Check in and see how. <laughs> yeah. Start, start being a little self-aware. And I started realizing that whenever I feel threatened or like when I mean threatened, not physically, but any threat to my stat perceived stature mm -hmm. or reputation with people, I would just lash out. And I started noticing that and doing that real hard work of, uh, you know, turning that mirror inside, you know, or, or looking in that mirror. And that's not easy work no. to do, to cultivate yeah. that self-awareness to be like, am I kind of an ass or a jerk, as you put earlier? Like, is oh, that... Oh, no, ass is probably more. I didn't yeah. know if we could swear. I could come up with a lot of other adjectives. <laughs> I didn't know what your rating was. <laughs> no, but I, I want to touch on what you said about feeling like you had to do it like all on your own, handling it. It sounded like you were very hyper independent before mm -hmm. and then reaching that breaking point of realizing like, I can't, I do need other people. I do need God. This isn't, I can't handle all of this yeah. on my own. After you started to cultivate some self-awareness, 
What did you notice changing first in your life when you started holding up that mirror to yourself? I I started noticing that I wasn't ruminating over things because when I would lash out at someone personally or in a professional meeting, it would feel good in that instant. But then, you know, then the the demons come calling at night or on the drive home like, oh, man, why did I say that? You know, people aren't going to like me. People aren't, you know, I probably hurt their feelings and you just get those negative thoughts. So one of the big things that went away or at least, you know, really decreased proportionately with how my negative, you know, showing up at the world would be would be those ruminating thoughts from like worrying about what I said. You know, those went away because I would have positive interactions with people or if they weren't positive, at least have it be in a respectful way, a back and forth of conversation with people. Yeah. Was this something that like on your own, you just continued to realize? Was there anyone in your life that was able to kind of call that out for you and be like, hey, John, like maybe don't be so harsh? Well, people had tried telling me that pretty much all my life, um, to which I just basically said, screw you. I'm going to do do it my way. Um mm-hmm. Which, you know, that, that didn't work out so well, but a great, you know, call them God winks, you know, showing that I was on the right path happened with a coworker. And to really get the, the magnitude of how this happened, let's, let's back up to, you know, before when I was still like a really big jerk. I remember I was doing some training, being trained at work. And part of it was, you know, we'd be in these reviews and there was the panels of the, you know, that we, we, we always joked and called them the gray hairs at work, which now I would be that <laughs> if I were still there. But the people with a lot more experience would be this panel and they'd review your, your stuff. And whenever I'd be reviewed, probably no surprise. If anyone would question something that I was presenting, I would just be a jerk and try to shut them down. And I remember this, this gentleman you know, pulled me aside afterwards, said, Hey, man, you got to be able to take criticism and, you know, reply respectfully, especially like if this were like in front of clients. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, if you can't handle that kind of stuff, maybe you're in the wrong business. You know, I'm telling this to some guy who's been doing this for 20 years. I've been doing it for like eight. But after I had this change of heart and really started showing up in the world differently, it was maybe maybe a year and a half or two years after I had really made this commitment to showing up differently. This gentleman and I were in a meeting one time and I, you know, just was showing up differently in the world. And he stopped by my my cubicle after the meeting and said, Hey, uh, can I sit down? I'm like, Yeah, sure. What's what's up, man? He said, What the hell happened to you? I said, What do you mean? What's wrong? He goes, Nothing. It's like a 180 from how you used to be. What happened? You are so respectful and articulate and, you know, fair in these meetings now when he said before you used to be be an asshole. And I was able to tell him my whole story. And that was a really good moment realizing that positive change is possible. And that it was making a difference. Like other people were able to identify that in your life. At what point through this change did you switch careers? Because, again, you're working like for NASA, with pretty like right. you know from the outside, yeah. sounds like a really cool job, yeah. and then realizing that wasn't fulfilling you, and you said now portrait photography. Right. What was the the change? It was you know lo- looking back on it, you can really see how the 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 pathwork was laid out. But the years where I was going through this personal change, the company I worked for went through a lot of changes in the ownership and how the ownership of the company showed up. So. What happened was I was showing up in the world differently and kind of, you know, the the proverbial scales were kind of falling from my eyes because up until that point, all I ever focused on was 
what I needed to do to meet the next objective professionally, because I thought that was how I was going to get love and respect and feel worthwhile, which spoiler alert, none of those things happened. I can remember one time I, me and the team I was on that I led, we were getting a letter of commendation from the Department of Defense, like pretty big deal for a successful project. And I can just, all I can remember whenever they handed me my sheet of paper was, I shouldn't be up here. Everyone's going to figure out I'm not smart enough and I'm a fake and I'm a fraud and I shouldn't be getting this. And I can remember almost being in tears because I was so worried that people were just going to call me out on it. Um, yeah. Later, come to learn that was imposter syndrome, right? So I had this job where I was getting all these accolades and I didn't feel like they were really worth anything. I didn't feel like I was worthy of them. They didn't necessarily mean that much to me. And I started realizing just what is going on in the world around me and, you know, how people are hurting. How could I help with that? And meanwhile, the company I'm working for, the, the area I worked in started becoming less and less of a focus and the management style changed, um, came a much harsher environment than mm-hmm. we had been used to. And so much so that it finally got to the point where after years of trying to work with the senior leadership that had come in, I finally decided this wasn't how I wanted to be treated. So by this point, I, you know, my wife and I had three kids, you know, so what self-respecting father of three, you know, quits this, you know, lucrative, respected job and becomes a, you know, turns their side hustle into their full-time work, you know, photography, because I've always been interested in photography. And by that point, I'd been doing a photography on the side. So I got another engineering job locally where I made even more money. And looking back on it, the author John Acuff likes to call these noble obstacles, you know, mm-hmm. I had this noble obstacle in my head, like, well, you know, I, I need to take care of my wife and kids. I can't quit this job. So I got another job, made even more money. They were like, fly me at first class, like to business meetings in Asia and everything. And I had never been more unfulfilled in my life in my tenure at that job. And the moment where I was like, I just feel so unfulfilled. Like, you know, I was respected. I liked the crews I worked with. I liked, you know, w- what I was doing, but I just felt this like yearning in my heart. Yeah, that it wasn't was scratching that met. itch inside your purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember I was walking into work one day. It was like, it was in January. I live, I live in coastal Delaware and, you know, we don't get a lot of snow here. It usually hovers at like 35 degrees and then just rains and it's miserable. I can remember walking into work one day and the rain's going in the back of my shirt and jacket. And I'm like, oh God, this is miserable. And I just remember saying, thank God I'm getting paid so much money to be this miserable. And that was like, when I said that, like, and I heard myself say it in my head, it was like, you know, I got hit in the face by a two by four. Like yeah. It was just this like wake up call. Yeah. This realization that you're trading life and purpose and joy for status and money. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember talking to my wife about it, you know, coming home and we came up with a plan and figure out ways I could actually make a living off my photography. And she's and she's like, you, you just need to to go for this. Like, if it doesn't work out, you can get another, you know, work a day job. She's like, but you're miserable. And your skin has like the pallor of like a wet ashtray. There's <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> like real sickly gray look to it. And what's amazing that my wife said that is she's such a planner and likes to have everything organized. Mm-hmm. Like if there would be anyone in the relationship, it's like, yeah, let's just see if it works. That'd be me. Like I'm the jelly in the relationship. She's the peanut butter that kind of keeps everything all together. So when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, well, if even if she's saying that, like I should really give it a try. And I lasted that job that 
I went to for nine months and <laughs> turned in my resignation. I didn't even last a year there. And that was almost six years ago now. Yeah. I left corporate America and started just, you know, doing my own thing as a photographer. And I want to go somewhere else with this now because just to this point in your story, it sounds amazing. It's like, wow, like, you know, you unfortunately there was this tragedy, but it did change your life in a way that you were able to look at yourself and be like, I don't like who I am. I I want to and need to be better. Mm-hmm. And you have that experience saying the serenity prayer. And then you walked away from a lucrative career to follow a passion and something mm-hmm. that brought you purpose. And if this was a Disney movie, the story would end right there. And you know, you <laughs> lived happily ever after. But I can imagine, because <laughs> I yeah. know this personally, that once you decide, you're like, you know what? No, I'm going for it. I'm going to follow this. It's not always easy. So what was the experience like for you when you kind of jumped off the cliff into, all right, I'm going into photography full time? It was so nerve wracking because I didn't have, you know, going back to like the data, I didn't have the data showing that, you know, work would come in. It's like if you if you go like seven, 10 days, it's like oh, no one's called. Uh Oh, what do I do now? It was so nerve wracking, you know, probably the first like year or two that I started. And there were so many of these moments that I could like turn around and point to where, you know, again, these like God winks kind of like keep going. <laughs> and one of them happened with the author I mentioned before, John Acuff. Um, for those of you who don't know, John's a, you know, tremendously gifted author for business strategies and public speaking and how to reshape your life. And this was 2017. And I think his book finished just came out, which was about, you know, he realized speaking of, of doing that self work and looking in the mirror, he realized he was a chronic starter, but was not a consistent finisher. So he did a bunch of research and figured out some of his own stumbling blocks and, and wrote a book about it. And it just really connected with me where I was at on my journey and a couple of his other books, especially do over, which was what I was in the midst of, you know, I was, I was doing over my career and my life. And because he was on a book tour for this finished book and he was coming somewhat close to me, I sent him an email and said, Hey, you know, I just bailed on the corporate job, you know, like you did. And I would love to, you know, maybe photograph you at your book tour, you know, just because I thought that'd be something really cool to do. And never heard back, never heard back. And I was just having one of those days where, you know, you mentioned it's not, you know, when you when you venture into entrepreneurship, like it's, it's, it's a wild ride, like there's no roller coaster on earth that can, uh, you know, prepare you for it. And I just remember I was having one of those days where I think I was literally curled up, you know, eight feet from where I'm at right now in my home office, like literally laying on the ground in a fetal position crying. So I was like, what am I doing? What did I do? Why did I quit this job five months ago where I was making, you know, predictable money and just having a moment, just having a meltdown. No one was home. I was falling apart, which was not the first time that had happened since I, I left corporate America. And just, I don't know why, but something told me, you know, I, I checked my email and something told me to check my junk folder. And I said that I never heard back from John or his team about photographing them. Well, I did, but everything got caught in my spam folder. Ugh. And like, that was the day that he was going to be in town. So I hurriedly like contacted his assistant and said, Hey, is the offer still good to do that? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. We were wondering what happened to you. I said, I got caught in spam and I'm like freaking out. So I like went from like the lowest low to like now the highest high to like someone that I really respected 
I was going to have the opportunity to cross paths with. And it was just a great experience. You know, I called my wife. So can you pick the kids up? Here's what's happening. We got to go figure out trying to keep. She's like, dude, slow down. <laughs> like, just tell me what you need. <laughs> and uh, it was great. You know, I, I, I drove, got to meet John, you know, see him speak you know, photograph them. So there have been a lot of things looking back on throughout my journey that were these little nudges to just kind of keep going so much so that made me very attuned to them. So I write them down now. That's a good idea. Yeah. It's so easy to for, forget because there's so much power in like writing things down. And that's one of the things like when I do talks now on imposter syndrome, I always tell people that that I'm speaking with crowds. I'm like, you know, make sure to keep track of like your accolades, you know, go back to when you won the Pinewood Derby as a Cub Scout when you were eight and write it down. And it really helps people get that data of, oh, I do, I do these awesome things. And a lot of things people don't even probably consider that they do are awesome. Yeah. And then they get to have, like you said, that data, something they can look back on when they're in those lows. And also when you were telling that story, kind of like your experience, um, in the bathroom with a serenity prayer. I think things happen for a reason. I think there's a reason all of that went to spam because you didn't need it then. You needed right. that push when you were at a low. Yeah. And then that's when you you know, came across the emails and got to go photograph one of your, like not celebrity idols, but a man you really respected. Yeah, yeah, I really respected. Still respect, yeah. He's still awesome. <laughs> so looking back, I have two kind of separate questions for you on what you would tell the audience, but like going back to who you were before and then after you found out about your friend completing suicide, if someone's in that place, that place Mm -hmm. of rock bottom, maybe they had the exact same situation where someone that they dearly love is no longer here, or maybe they're in that place of, I don't like myself. If you could give them just one thing, like one thing they could do today to start on their growth journey, what would that be? I think it goes back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, writing things down. You know, if you're experiencing loss, number one, acknowledge it. So many people, I think, especially in in American culture, are so apt to just be like, I'll deal with that later. Like you you don't want to you don't want to deal with it later. Like because then it festers and just, you know, really builds upon it. So if you're if you're experiencing grief right now, really confront it head on. And it, it's it's not going to be easy in any kind of support system you can rally around yourself is certainly going to help, whether that's, you know, your faith, friends, family. If that's not something that's readily available to you, there are many groups that are out there. And as, you know, a former, you know, recovering uh, self-sufficient person, you know, that would have been the last thing I ever wanted to do was reach out to a group, but acknowledging it and then, you know, having a tribe around you or building a tribe because there are a lot of people out there going through a lot of difficult things. And, you know, one of the greatest tricks of the devil is to make you think that you're alone in that and you're not. That's beautiful. That's something. And I'm very passionate about that exact thing because I believe, I mean, we're pack animals. We are wired mm-hmm. for connection. And yes, that loneliness and hyper-independence and being off alone by ourselves is where those demons can get a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then also speaking to, because, you know, walking away from a career, especially a lucrative career, and nothing wrong with that career. Like if that had been yep. what was for you, that would have been fantastic. But because it wasn't, walking away from that and 
jumping off that cliff into entrepreneurship. If someone's in that space where they're like, it's almost that sunk cost bias. It's like, well, I have this great thing going, but I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. And I'm, as you put it, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I'm not healthy. I'm not, it's not serving me in any way. What advice would you give to that person who's kind of on that brink? Like, this is what I want, but it's really hard to walk away from this great gig. The the most beneficial thing that I have ever done for my career, and I know this will echo with you because this is how you and I met, is to hire coaches and become part of groups to help you develop those skills for what you want to do. That is the greatest use of your time and money is to find coaches that have already done there. I mean, that's like a super cheat code, you know, from a video mm-hmm. game is, you know, finding people that are far ahead and asking if they'll be your coach, you know, and being willing to pay them for their time. That Absolutely. is by far and away the biggest thing that people can do because you might be miserable in what you're doing. But when I had a coach during that time period, they're able to stand back and objectively, you know, speak some truth and life and into what I'm doing, give me some perspective that I certainly didn't have. And that, you know, my wife wouldn't have because, you know, there's that closeness to the situation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, get involved with coaches sooner than later. And then the last question I ask everyone, because the podcast is called Growth Over Easy. Mm -hmm. John, what is growth to you? Growth, growth is a continual reevaluation because I don't want to just say it's, you know, it's getting better every day because you need an objective. Like, what are we working on? Like, what are we trying to get better at today? And it might change today, but it is a continual cycle of self-evaluation and seeing how you can serve yourself better because a lot of times, you know, especially service-minded people will not take time for themselves, but to change that filter of, okay, how can I serve myself better so I can serve others even better and continually just reevaluate that and then come up with with hard and fast objectives that you're trying to meet. I like that. Thank you. And where can people find you? And also tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. You can find me. My photography stuff is at melorafoto.com. And I, I do luxury portraits, which means we take as much of the stress out of being photographed as possible because you know other than a dentist i think being a photographer a portrait photographer is the only career where people walk in and say i'm going to pay you but i hate having this done (laughs) so many people say i hate having my photo taken just so you know i can relate to that it's yeah everybody most people can it's very odd someone's like i am so excited to be photographed so we set up my business again because I worked with coaches. Um, I never would have come up with this on my own to help develop a business model where, you know, we remove the stress of what do you wear at a photo shoot? I do a pre-shoot wardrobe consultation with people. People worry about what if it's raining on the day of the photo shoot, and my hair gets all messed up. Well, I work with professional hair and makeup artists. So they get pampered a little bit before their photo shoot. The other question I always get is, you know, what, what do I do with my hands during a photo shoot? Like, uh, hey, the hands <laughs> yeah. are the hardest thing because there's yeah, some right? awkward photos of me out there. With yep, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've done training again. I hired coaches to help me with how to, to verbally guide people during the photo shoot for poses that are flattering for them. And then walk them through selecting their images. And then if they want printed products, 
uh, for their walls, I hang it in their house for them. Or, you know, we put together photo albums for people. So it's like, they don't have to worry about anything. They literally just have to show up and it enables me to serve them to help them create these memories. And more importantly, the reason why I love doing portrait photography is it really serves people in a way that really nothing else can. Because how good does it feel when you look at a photo of yourself, like a good photo of yourself? And you're like, yeah, I love that. And it really just buoys your self-confidence. So I love giving people that gift of seeing themselves like that. That's beautiful because so many people don't see themselves accurately or clearly. And when they do get a bad photo of themselves, it just, you know, reiterates everything in their brain that, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And to give people the gift of being able to see themselves. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I mentioned, I do, I do keynote speaking too. I speak on imposter syndrome and it's an expansion of what you and I just talked about today about positive changes possible. So that can be found at johnmalora.com. Awesome. You can link back and forth to both of them. I have a little tab. So if you want to see the photo stuff, you click that. And if you want to see the public speaking stuff, you go to the photo page, you click that. So it's just, and it's a great offshoot of the portrait photography is being able to help people from, from stage or in meetings unlock mm-hmm. some things in themselves. And again, with the focus of helping them serve others better. Yeah, no, those things, I see the relation between those because it's, you know, the photography handles the outside, but it's that inside piece with the imposter syndrome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing. I know that's not an easy topic to discuss and also being vulnerable and sharing yep. your journey and the before and after. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for your opportunity, Lily. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold.